Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Golf Strong Project. Got a sweet, got some fun topics to talk about today. A fun topic to talk about today that'll make some people happy, make some people mad. Most people might not really understand it, but let's see, let's see how it goes. As always, joined by Dr. Tim Rivoto, new dad of the year winner. What's up, man? Nothing. Just hanging. What's up with you? Doing pretty much the same, man. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Got to get my uh, new grips the next couple of days. Oh, the old, uh, the old clubs need a new, need a little new grippy to them. New feel. You're gonna do, gonna do it yourself, or you're gonna go somewhere? <laughs> Got jokes? No, it's easy. It. I, I think that's fantastic that it's easy. But my time is always <laughs> best spent in other places. That's fair. That's fair. I got. I have better things to do. Better things to do. Yeah, not on my list of things. No, I got to get them done. I'm I'm uncertain what I'm going to get on there though. I'm a big. You... I, I think I might I might upsize my grip. Go with a little bit of a bigger grip. Yeah. I've got a midsize right now, and I'm thinking I've tried a couple of the oversized ones, and I might I might stay standard like golf pride or you go super stroke or play around what what are you thinking no so i've got wins right now okay um and they do make a couple different sizes i actually liked my grips but these are the og grips that i had when i kind of like learned to golf um so there's like my thumb marks from where i I gripped the shit out of it for so long and it's time (laughs) yeah it sounds like it's it's just I just, it never bothered me that much because I was like, yeah, they got character. I like them. They feel good in my hands, but it's an issue. So no, you're, you're going to get the new ones on and you're going to be like, why didn't I do this sooner? hundred percent. Yeah. That's what everyone tells me, but you know, I, yeah. <sighs> anyways, also everybody drop in some comments on here. I need to find a new, uh, carry golf bag. So everyone's <laughs> favorite carry golf blag, blag bag. <laughs> Drop a comment because uh, I'm shopping and it's Christmas time and my 30th birthday next Friday. So oh. for Dirty 30, I need a, I need a new bag. Sounds good to me. I, I'm biased to the title as players for light, easy, plenty of pockets. It's a good one. It's like an immediate answer too. you were you were like you knew exactly what it was going to be from the get a good one the other ones like the other ones i've tried i've had uh i've had an ogo bag those aren't bad but the legs always get busted and the title is the legs haven't gotten busted i've had one for three years throw it around walk almost i walk like 25 rounds 30 rounds a year still good still hanging in and if you lived in florida you could double that yeah well we're not going to talk about that or triple that or any of those things (laughs) that would get unhealthy it would get unhealthy Un- unhealthy you hold your tongue <laughs> oh shoot all right so let's fun conversation today so we're going to talk about genetics and if they matter if they don't matter the nature versus nurture debate which everyone has had forever which seems kind of funny because obviously they both matter that's that's a clear we'll make that statement from the get-go that how you're brought up, the environmental factors that surround you, right? Nurture and how you're born, what you got from the get-go, what mom and dad pass on to you, your genetics, they intermingle and together they create who you are. Um, I think it's unfair to say which one is greater than the other, although everyone's born with a certain amount of genetic potential and either that's nurtured or not nurtured. I think that's probably a, a fair place to start there. But we want to talk about this specifically as it comes to golfing. Cause you hear all the time, you know, Tiger just has good genetics. A guy's just a genetic freak. Bryson's a genetic freak. You know, these people are just, they're genetic. Uh, they're just amazing. They just have the best genetics and that's why they're so good. I think oftentimes we overlook how much effort and practice these people have put in to be as great as they are. And the novice person or the amateur is always like, eh, they're just, they're just gifted. They're more gifted than I am. And thus that's why they're there, which is a way too reductionist approach to genetics. So we're going to talk about it in terms of golf today. Talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how this goes, 
how genetics matter and, and roll from there. First things first, let's talk about why this is an important, maybe arguments, the wrong word, Tim, but why it's an important topic to discuss, you know, why talking about genetics specifically is viable, uh, for, for golf and for golf trainers specifically, and for the athletes. So, you know, in your mind, what, what kind of pops to your head immediately about why it's important for us to have this conversation? Well, it's such a, there's such a broad range, right. Of genetics of, of, uh, physical makeup, right. What people look like, how people move, how people operate. And when you look at how similar we all are, we, we're all humans are pretty, you know, 99.9% genetically the same. Right. So you'd think, Oh, that can't matter too much, right? Because we're almost all the same, but there is such a wide variation of human within that little tiny, 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 tiny 0.1%. Um, you know, you've got Muggsy Bogues and Manu Ball, you've got Tiger Woods and John Daly, and they're all 0.1% different or 99.9% the same. So there's so, there's such a wide range of variation in that, in that little amount of difference that we have that it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that appreciating the fact that there is so much variation is, is important in that regard. And we're going to discuss a little bit about what that means. You know, you know, well, if you were born with these genetic factors or these, what's going to make you better than the other. Um, But in terms of why this is so important, even further than that, it's important to realize that you are not a product of one versus the other, which we kind of just discussed. You are not just the on the side of, well, if you work really, 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 really hard, anything is possible, physically speaking. Or if you have the best genetics in the world, that's all that matters, right? We're not, we can't make this black and white camp of genetics and hard work, right? That's, that's not how this works. There is a combination of those things. And I think for me, the biggest conversation or the biggest reason I like having this conversation is a lot of people think to themselves, well, my genetics are going to hinder me or I don't have good genetics. That's the thing I will hear the most is I just don't have the genetics to do this. And I tell people all the time, yes, your genetics will hinder you at a given point. But have you even exercised your ability to get to that point? Right. So if you're looking at this big graph and your genetic ability is at the top, you're usually batting 25% of that genetic ability because you haven't put the work in to reach it. Now, that genetic ability might be lower than Tiger Woods, sure. but are you even getting to your ability? Do we even know what that looks like? So for me, this argument is very critical because I think people put, they hamstring themselves. And then they create these self-fulfilling prophecies prophecies that they are not good enough or that their genetics hinder them. And that's why they can't accomplish what they want, which is a cop-out in a lot of ways. But I think that for me, that's one of the reasons I see with golfers specifically, where they're like, eh, I'm just not gifted enough to do this. Not right. necessarily. Yeah, I had a conversation on Instagram with a guy yesterday who was saying, you know, if people don't develop their athleticism early, you can never, you can never get athletic. It's just, it's what you got. If you don't play sports when you're a kid and you don't figure out how to swing a bat or swing a golf club, that's all you've got. You can't do it as an adult. And that, that couldn't be further, further from the truth. It might take a little more work. It might, you know, it might take a little more time, but you can, you know, as, as you made a great point that there is, there might be a set ceiling based on what you're given genetically, right? Who your parents were and, and what you got from them but you can always play around with that. There's always a, a kind of a window of ability or a window of, you know, coordination. And that, that window where, where you sit in that window is based on what you do with it, you know, and most people aren't doing anything with it. They're not trying to push the envelope. They're not, they're not trying to get better or stronger or faster. So yeah, you are, you are stuck where you're at, but you're not doing anything for it. Well, think of the com- uh, the number one thing. I've lost a step. Right. Everyone right. will tell you they have lost a step. And my counter is, no, you just stopped stepping. Most of the time, I think we've talked about this in here before. We probably have. And if we're beating a dead horse, hopefully you guys don't mind. 
But most people, if they think about a sport they played in high school, we'll even say, you know, golf was your sport in high school, right? In season, you practiced for what, Tim, an hour and a half to four hours a day. Yeah. At least an hour and a half. Yeah. At least an hour and a half. So we'll, we'll say two just to be on the low end. And we'll say five days a week, you spent two hours working at that craft, right? Mm -hmm. Just five days a week. That's 10 hours a week of practice at golf. Okay. You go to college and you don't play golf in college and you, you know, play, I don't know, once every month, we'll say five times a month. Okay. But during the week, maybe you hit the range once. So you went from 10 hours a week to, if you're lucky, two hours a week mm-hmm. of practice time here. I'm not talking about playing practice mm-hmm. time. So 10 hours to two hours. Okay. And then you get a little older and then you're like, ah, you know, well, I play three or four days a week and that's about it. I don't practice anything. I don't go do anything else. So you went from that, all of that practice to no practice or even all of that playing to playing once a week. So if you were playing four days a week in high school and then you play once a week as an adult, it makes sense that you're not doing as well in the gym. This is more pronounced in high school where people are playing a sport and they train for that sport. They're in the gym four days a week for an hour anyways. And then they're doing their sports specific training. Then they go to college and they get older and they're like, maybe they work out for an hour a week, two hours a week if they're lucky. So you see this huge downfall in the amount of work people are doing. And that all gets blamed on, well, I've lost a step. You know, I'm not built to handle that. You know, I'm not Tom Brady. Silly example, but, oh, well, he has great genetics. You're right. That guy also optimizes the shit out of his body. He's spending yeah. God ungodly amounts of money on it, but he's investing in it. If you look at him when he got into the league, he was just a tubby piece of lard. He might have still had great genetics, but he has certainly not optimized them yet. Right. He's probably the opposite end of the spectrum where he's doing more now than he was previously. 100%. 100%. Right. 100%. And he's reaping the benefits. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's why this conversation is so important is that people need to understand that we put too many hindrances on ourselves and we blame genetics as our cop-out tool too often. That's the reason we're not good enough or, Oh, I can never make it on the tour because I'm just not genetically that gifted. Right. That's not necessarily the case unless you have exercised every option possible to you to find that out. So, Let's, well, I guess let's talk a little bit about that. So what, how much difference, we'll talk about strength specifically. So the amount of variability that we'll get in muscle mass between people. So this is actually something that's been researched pretty well. So uh, 80% of the total lean mass difference between people is explainable through genetic differences, which is a lot. Right, so I'll repeat that for everyone's sake so you understand. So 80% of the lean mass differences between people, so of our like lean cut-up physiques, is explained by genetic-only differences. Not by how hard you work in the gym or any of those other things, but by your genetics, right? Which is, that's a lot. So what you're capable of having as lean muscle mass is greatly determined by genetics, so that's an important thing for people to, to understand. Now, height and weight play a role in all of that. But um, the same thing occurs with muscle fiber. So we can talk about that quick. So, Tim, what are our muscle fiber types? Yeah, so we've got our... Know? Right. So we've in, in the most simple terms, we've got type 1 and type 2, right? So type 1 is our more endurance-focused fibers, right? They use oxygen slow... They help think marathon runners. It helps that muscle can go, 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 go all day. Just keep a steady pace all day. Can't generate as much force, can't generate as much speed, but it can go all day. And then we've got our type two where that's our power forceful fiber. So that can, that can generate speed that can generate a ton of force and think our power lifters or shot putters or, uh, you know, offensive linemen in football. Those are people that are generating a ton of force in a really little, small, small amount of time. Now you do tire out a little quicker or a lot quicker, but you can produce a ton more force. 
Yes. And, mind you, genetically speaking, a lot of that is genetically determined. Or a great percentage of that is genetically determined. Like mm -hmm. how much type 2 versus how much type 1 you have. And there seems to be a little bit of, I don't want to call it crossover, depending on what you do. But there is some, you know, as you get older or as you optimize a certain kind of, say you're doing power, you can optimize or grow, so to speak, the type 2 fibers you have. But if you are predominantly more type one fibers, that doesn't help you a whole lot. Help you a little bit. But I mean, that's why you see, you know, there's no 350 pound power lifters running marathons. Right. They all look pretty similar. Right. It's there is some genetic predisposition to doing some of those things. No different than if we look at any sport, if you are you know, an NFL lineman, or if you're a cornerback, or if you're a quarterback, they look for very specific characteristics that are essentially genetically determined. At the end of the day, you just, if you're seven feet tall, you just got the lucky end of the stick that you're probably going to be able to go play basketball. doesn't mean you're coordinated, but you've already been given the gift of being seven feet tall. Right. Right. If you're right. a quarterback and you're six, six, you're probably going to get the nod over the guy that's five, eight. If you are naturally a bigger athlete and you can just produce more force by doing nothing, you're probably going to get the nod over somebody who's a little bit thinner, but can run for 17 years. Right. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you don't see many, you know, six foot six to seven foot tall marathon runners or, you know, yeah. 800 meter yeah. run distance runners. They all look pretty much the same, right? They're, you know, five, five to five, 10, they're really skinny, lean. They, there's a reason why people look similar in sports, right? They're, oh, yeah, they're at 80% of the, of the muscle that they're born with and, and not stuck with, but that, that you've got to work with. You've got a little wiggle room on either side, right? You could, yeah. you could be a power lifter, run a little bit more and develop a little bit more type one fiber probably, right? You could also be a marathon runner who does some heavy squats and deadlifts and does, does some work to get a little bit more type two fiber, mm -hmm. but you're going to be predisposed towards one of those, one of those areas. Well, and that somewhat leads into the, the really next conversation, which is muscle growth or hypertrophy and strength and all of those kind of things. Right. Because that's the one thing people are always like, you look at whenever you look at anything. So we'll use Bryson as an example right now, because he's like the, the biggest quote unquote guy in the game where he's gained all this muscle and he's gotten really, really big and all this stuff. Right. Well, what he does might not be good for you. And the reason for that is partially based on genetics. Certainly if anybody goes and works out, changes are going to occur, but all of the research that we have shows that if you put everybody on the same program, hundred people all in the same program. There'll be people that are like these big responders, like we'll call Bryson a bigger. So say we have, you know, program X and Bryson does that program and gets big and jacked. Like he has, or he's gotten bigger. He's gotten more muscular, right? So he is like what we'd call a respond, like a super responder, whatever you want to call him. Then it's almost like a bell curve. So there's a, there's people on that end. And then most people kind of fall in the middle where they, they do well. And then on the bottom, there's people that, don't really respond at all. They might get stronger, but they don't have a bunch of bigger muscles. They're not, their strength might not be as good as Bryson's, you know, so it, it looks kind of funny. And so you'd go, okay, well, that's because he's super genetically gifted, right? Or that's because he's whatever. Well, I could then do program Y, which is a totally different program. And maybe Bryson's on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe he doesn't respond as well to that program. That's where some genetic things come into play. Some people respond better to certain programming while other people don't respond as well to that programming. Some people don't respond to any programming. Well, they just, they have a lot of trouble gaining muscle because of unfortunately their genetic makeup and mom and dad didn't happen to pass on good stuff. But there is a difference in how people build muscle based on the type of programming they're doing. It's not necessarily that this program for Bryson is going to transfer to you you might have completely different genetics, which is very likely relative to him. Now, if you have, if you're built similar to him, if you look similar to him, yeah, maybe it'll work, but that's a few and far between. 
Right. And that's where you see, you know, the guys that are big and jacked on Instagram saying, I'm big and jacked, do my program and you'll get big and jacked. Not necessarily. Right. Everyone's got the different makeup. And, you know, one, one guy that says this a lot online, he's, he's a little creepy for me, but, uh, Brett Contreras, he's, he's known, made a name for himself as the glute guy. Booty. So he helps, he helps the women, you know, build that big butt that they want. He talks about it all the time. Some, some of his clients, he gives a certain exercise and they respond really well to like three sets of 15 reps. Other people, they, he's given them five sets of five because they respond, they respond well to that. So there's, there's no right or wrong here. It's all, you know, really what you have to do to find out what works for you is try stuff, right? That's what it comes down to. Yeah, that's a hundred percent the truth. And that gets to the point of training and what people are doing for training. That's really where this all kind of wraps itself back around to is that if you are someone who's looking for a golf program, you want to get stronger. It doesn't matter if you're a golfer or whoever, you just want to get stronger. You want to get bigger muscles. You want to be ripped. You want to look like all these people on Instagram, which you shouldn't want to do that. But we'll leave the psychology discussion for uh, a different date. Uh, that's coming up in a few weeks, as a matter of fact. We've got a sports psychologist coming on here. It's going to be awesome. So peep that in a few weeks. Can't wait. Anyways, back to where we were. So when it comes to training, to Tim's point that he just made, everyone is a little bit different you are going to have things that you do better with. Some people can do a set of 15 to failure. That's all they do. Or a sure. set of 10 to failure, or a set of eight to failure. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Mike uh, uh, Metzger or Met... Oh, shoot. Dude back in the day who did only sets to failure, like single set to failure. And he was yoked, but he had like a bajillion heart issues and all that kind of stuff. But... For him, that training really worked. And it was, he had like this specialty program, he called it. I can't remember what it was. But anyways, then you have other people who are in a different camp entirely, right? We have general guidelines that are like, okay, if you want to get strong, we function in the one to six rep range. If you're looking for more muscular endurance, maybe we're looking at higher than 12 rep range. You know, so we have these numbers that we generally use. And that is true, right? I can't really test your actual strength at 20 reps. I just know your 20 rep strength, which is really more your endurance of your muscle more than your absolute strength. Those things we understand. Our point to this is that you may be a golfer looking to get into a strength program and sets, lower sets, or you function perfectly well with. You could do two or three sets of 10 and you do great. Uh, but the guy you work out with can do two or three sets of 10 and gets no response or they, they have to do four sets or six sets or whatever it ends up being, they just don't respond as well as you do. And age plays a role there. You know, younger people just respond better to training than older people. That's that kind of just how that works. Um, but that's why having a coach is important. It is. And you can respond better as an older adult if you start things younger, right? So if you've got 10... 20 years of training history where you were working out, you know, you're 50 and you've been working out since you were 20, you're going to get better results than someone who just started at 45 or, or just started at 50. So it's, it can be frustrating, right. To work hard for two years even and not see much difference, but it's all, it's all putting sand and, you know, putting sand in the bag. I, someone described it to me one day as, you know, some days you have a shovel, you're digging a hole. Some days you have a shovel. Some days you have a spoon. And, you know, Keep it digging. just, you're digging. So whatever you got for the day, that's what you got to dig with. Yeah, that's the truth. And that gets us to a little bit of the point, which we'll talk about another podcast. We're talking about a lot of different podcasts right now where we talk about auto-regulation and we talk about when you're tired, what to do, when you feel good, what to do and how to optimize those days and, and what have you. But, um, when it comes to, again, having a coach, they're able to find what suits you best, what fits you, what doesn't fit you, what you respond best to, what you don't respond best to. You know, some people respond to training 
actually, that's the whole point of this conversation is everyone responds to training differently. You can put them into different groups, but different training protocols are going to result in different things for different people. And finding what that looks like for yourself across time is really helpful. I may, if you're a big guy, you know, if you're six, four and you're naturally just like 240, broad shoulders, you just have this kind of body type. I'm going to train you differently than my five, eight slender endurance runner. Totally. Right? We may do similar things, but you're going to respond to training totally differently. And so it's important. It's important that for people listening to this, that your coach or anything that you're doing for training is aimed at what you respond best to. Well, Tim, how do we figure that out? That's great. But what, what does it take for people to figure out what's best for them? It's really, it's really trial and error. I mean, you, you, you could go out and get a, you know, get some genetic testing. It's pretty available and pretty affordable nowadays, right? It's probably a couple hundred bucks. You could go give some blood, send it to a lab. They could tell you what your genes look like, but within that, there's just still so much variation there. And we don't know much about it that it's, unless you are like Tiger Woods at the top of your game, trying to squeeze out that last little bit that you could get better. You really, you really just have to try, try a bunch of stuff. You know, maybe you run a, you, you, your coach gives you a program for eight weeks. You try it out and you feel like trash. Okay. So we know, we know that your body doesn't handle that very well. So let's try something else. Okay. Let's run that for another eight weeks or so. Okay. You felt better doing that. Cool. But now maybe you're feeling slower or maybe you're, I don't know, feeling stiffer. Okay. Let's make a small tweak now. And then find, you know, try to find that perfect blend. It's, it's not a clean process. It's, it's really trial and error. It's all we got. Yeah. hundred percent. Now it's the important thing that Tim just brought up is the fact that you have to spend time on doing those things. It's not just, I did these workouts for a week and I didn't like them. That doesn't tell us anything. That was my point I made earlier when a lot of people are like, oh, I just don't have the genetics to do that. So I'm not going to bother with it. We haven't even tried to get there. We haven't even tried to find the trial and error necessary to find out what we have. So unless you've done like four months of hard training, good training that's been designed for you, you don't really know a whole lot about how you train because we know that people, especially the first you know month or so of training, we have all of these neural factors determining our response. So in our first month, everybody gets stronger everybody because the brain gets better at producing force, right? So that doesn't tell us a whole lot about what you respond best to. We have to wait a little longer. And then after two months, we're like, Hey, how are you doing? Eh, I feel pretty good. Tim was just saying eight weeks of this program. How are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing great. I'm doing this. Okay. What tweaks can we make? What can we do here? You have to put in the time to know where you are. And then even after three months of training, you're going to make some changes. Maybe you're like, hey, this didn't work. Let's try something different. All right, cool. Let's try something different. The benefits of working out far outweigh cognitive capacity, strength of bones, mental capacity, decreasing mortality significantly. You know, working out is always going to be the right option. Optimizing it is going to take time. And that takes somebody being with you trying to guide that path. Correct. Correct. And you know, you, so I, I, let me ask you a question then. So we're, we're two different makeups, right? I'm five, nine, one, 155, 160. Yeah, we're and, all, and an endurance runner, right? What, what are your numbers? I'm six, three, two, ten, And I like to sprint and pick up heavy things. Right. So we're, <laughs> we're different right now. I'm trying to get the most speed strength power out of my body. Right. Cause I could go, I could go run 10 miles right now and be fine. <coughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry if that pains you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I choked. Oh, that's terrible. Really? But, 10 miles. You could just go run 10 miles right now. Oh yeah. I did that one year. It was such a bad idea. Amara wanted me to do a half marathon with her and I just totally bagged the training. I was just like being lazy and I went out and ran, I ran the half marathon with her, but I paid for it for about a week, but. Oh, could still do it. 
That's awful. Right. Never. Just, just never. Yeah. Christy and I planned on doing a 10 K last year, uh, 2020 and they canceled it because of Rona. So I had done all this training. So my goal was to deadlift six and run the 10 K and they canceled the 10 K which was great because I just, <laughs> the training was so brutal for that. It's yeah, it is. It, it can. And so for, for me, what I'm trying, I'm trying to get to a two body weight deadlift, right? So I'm up to two eighties. My target number is three ten. I want, I want to be able to deadlift three ten. I've been working on it for a year and a half. Right. So am I, am I wasting my time trying to do that? Trying to get the most out of, out of what I've got. No, hundred yeah. percent. No. And to that end, what is one of our biggest correlates of club head speed? Strength, lower body strength. Yep. The stronger we can make your lower body, the faster you can produce club head speed. So in the game of golf, yes, it does not necessarily benefit you to be a 10 K runner. Unless you like run and play golf. There's a new sport. Speed golf, uh, speed golf. Somebody just set the new world record in that, didn't they? Like the Guinness I, record of like fastest birdie. I think so. Uh, that was a four man team though. So that's like someone hit yes. the drive, someone hit the second shot, but yes. uh, Waco Neiman, or I forget how you say his first name, the Colombian kid. He just played a round of golf in, I think two, just over two hours. He was doing a little jog in between. Dude, that is a jog. I'm exhausted thinking about that. <laughs> but anyways, back to, back to our point. The fact of the matter is, is that Tim is a golfer. He wants to play golf and he wants to play golf better. Specifically, he wants to be able to hit the ball further mm -hmm. without as much effort. Mm -hmm. Leg strength plays a huge role in that. Now, for Tim and me, we have different ceilings when it comes to how much strength we can produce force-wise, right? Like back squatting to me is like the easiest thing in the world. I think it's fun. Like I've always had really strong legs. I've always had a giant ass and big legs and I can just squat. I've been able to squat heavy since I was little. Like it was never, I can remember being in eighth grade and I could squat 315 for repetitions, which was ridiculous. That's a dream. That's a dream. Right. It, was, it was ridiculous, right? I could never run distances. I never liked running distances. I liked sprinting 20 yards, 50 meters and under. That's it. I don't want to go any further than that, right? So for me, it's different to produce club head speed versus Tim. It's different for me to do that. Now, the other part to remember about this is that golf is not determined by just how strong your legs are. Our point to you is, is that leg strength is our, one of our biggest correlates to a better club head speed, how much force you can put into the ground. So Tim is a good golfer. His goal is to improve how much force he can put into the ground. Deadlifting helps with that. Squatting helps with that. He may not be designed that way, but he's trying to find whatever his genetic ceiling is to do that. And that could take years. It'll never happen because no one ever reaches their genetic potential, but he's damn well going to try. That's it. And you may have to rely on other things like technique and things like that, which is a different yes, conversation. Yes, but, you know, if let's just say, I'm not saying this is a problem for you, but let's just say someone like yourself, who's more of a sprinter power, maybe you get more tired on the back nine, right? You yeah. get to the back nine and your legs are dead. And you're like, oh man, I got, you know, especially walking and carrying your back all right, well, maybe you've got to focus a little more on, on your endurance, put a little more training yeah. on that side of things. And it just speaks to the, the benefits of having a coach, a professional that's going to help you through that process. They're going to help you realize you, you probably know what you are, right? You probably know if you're a sprinter or a marathon runner, but how you, how you get the most out of your body is going to be something that you need help with. Yeah. 100%. Because a lot of people, I mean, most people, let's be very honest, are carrying around extra weight. Sure. You know, we tend to deal with very few people that need to put on weight. I've, I've had one client. That's eh, not, it's not true. Two clients in 10 years that really needed to put on weight. Yeah. I mean, that's just because of the clientele I've dealt with. Two people had to gain weight. One of them damn well can't gain weight. Could eat bonbons at every meal. Genetically speaking, there you go, Tim. Me. cannot gain weight could eat till whatever they wanted ice cream you name it they won't gain weight but most people are not typically in that camp so in order to optimize your body we have to find what's a good weight for you we have to 
see what that is. And then we have to start training around those things. You know, maybe you're great at responding to power work or maybe strength work for you can be limited. 20 minute workouts, 30 minute workouts and you're smoked. Okay, that's fine. We'll adjust and adapt, but it's going to take months to figure that out. Years, to be totally honest. Right. Really years. Yeah. All, you know, we were talking about a couple of studies before, before this call, trying to get our, you know, our topics together and things. And a lot of the, a lot of the research is on like 12 week programs. So three months or 16 yeah. weeks, four months, but really we're, we're talking on a year, year, multi-year time, time span. You know, you, you're going to see the most results when you're older and you do see that in sport, right? You see marathon runners, the, the best marathon runners typically are in their mid thirties. You get yeah. people at the top of their sport, usually around 30, unless it's a particularly violent sport where you're just abusing your body and getting injured. So you, know, you see it in golfers. I mean, putting is one thing where having good eyesight at, and being younger helps you a little more, but as far as technique and, and consistency goes, you see guys on champions tour still, hitting the ball just as far as they used to, uh, you know, and, and some of them have transformed their bodies now because they've started doing things like getting in the gym, working out, uh, for, for the last maybe five years or so. And yeah. so there's all, there's always work to be done there. It's, it's, it's a long, long time span here. hundred percent. I mean, guys like Greg Norman who have just gotten cut up. Yeah. He looks better than ever now. Yeah. 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 So actually, so I'm not claiming that he does this, but something, a point we do need to make. So in terms of us building muscle, obviously how big we are, height, you know, the size of our frame makes a difference. How many muscle fibers we're born with matters, uh, how we respond to training, which we've just talked about. Some people respond better to different kinds. The other thing is performance enhancing drugs, PEDs, steroids, mm -hmm. things like that. That fully changes how your body can build muscle. Big just time. so we're all on the same page. Right. Most of the people, if you're looking at these jacked Instagram models and all this stuff, men specifically, oftentimes there is some kind of performance use. I'm not saying everybody because I don't think that's a fair thing to say. Some of them are just freaks. Mm -hmm. Right. They're just freaks. Right. Like if you go to these bodybuilding shows, you can clearly tell who the genetic freaks are. Right. Like you see everybody on stage and they all essentially did the same working out. They all trained similarly, but you look at them and you go, yeah, that's just, you know, pumping iron is a great example. Yeah. Schwarzenegger just had different genetics and with, that's with steroid use, obviously, but he looked different than everybody else, right? That's just kind of the way it is. So you can always tell where that stuff comes to be, but steroids plays a humongous role in Huge. muscle size change huge i mean you're playing with your hormones understood. yeah you're playing yeah. with your hormones anytime you do that you're you're and and just because you stop too you can reap the benefits for years and years afterwards oh, yeah. you know it, it's huge mind you we're not advocating for steroid use but it's not you, uncommon you, yeah yeah and you have to talk about it. it that is one one of the tried and true ways to significantly increase your muscle mass no matter what your genetics are 100 percent hundred percent. And that's, I mean, you'll see the problem now that we're seeing is that you've got like 14 year old kids juicing. Yeah. Did you see that Gymshark stuff? A bunch of Gymshark models that oh, are yes. know, 14 yes. to 18 modeling their clothing and they're jacked and they look ridiculous and they're all on crazy amounts of testosterone. Yeah. Which again is funny because in terms of testosterone use in your body, there's only so much you can use. Yeah. You know, and it's probably the highest when you're at that age, right? I think the high, like, I think it peaks at 26. Okay. So they're climbing. Like peaks, peaks. Like they're on their way up, right? Because they're hitting yeah. puberty now. So there's right. all of that. But there's, I mean, there's so many factors that, but to your point, you've got kids taking, you know, they're, they're juicing and they're, they're kids. They're puppies. Yeah. You know, not to everybody listening. If you want to go get big and jacked and you want to take steroids, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I will not tell you you can't go do things. I would say that you should look up repercussions of such things. Correct. And make those decisions on your own. But if you look at like old school bodybuilders currently today, not many of them look fantastic. No. 
No. And they're doing all sorts of weird stuff. So it, I would, I would seriously recommend if that's something you're thinking about, especially if you're an older guy, I would, just, I would go to the doctor. You can get testosterone replacement therapy today. You can go to your doctor and say, Hey, listen, I'm really trying to maximize my health. I want to get bigger, stronger, feel better. And they'll give you a safe amount that you can do long-term, not going to damage anything. Um, so that, there are ways to do it now. You don't have to go, there's, there's you know, buy it on the black market. Correct. Yeah. It's your, you don't got to go to the local golds and, you know, <laughs> talk to, talk to Johnny out back. Right. And be like, Hey, you got my stuff. Like this isn't heroin, everybody. Right. And I do want to emphasize too, everyone wants to be big and jacked, right? Or a lot of people do, or they want to lose fat. They want to look good. They want to look shredded. Right. You, you can increase your strength and get way stronger and still look the exact same. You know, it's not all about how you, what you look like. You can put in work for two, three years, get way stronger and pretty much look the same. There and there are still serious health benefits to just getting stronger. Yes. That is a hundred percent the best statement of this podcast. That is the that is so true. Well, so for anybody on here that's ever watched Olympic lifting, like weightlifting in the Olympics, when you look at these people lift weights outside of the really, really thin, like the 130 pound lifters, 120 pound lifters who are usually a little more cut up. Nobody looks big no, or like jacked. Like they, some of them look plubby. Like you're like, that guy yeah. kind of looks, looks fat, but they just snatched 450 pounds. Like, Oh, okay. That's insanity. Right. So yeah. it's John Daly. Great example. Mm-hmm. As much as everyone hates on him for being quote unquote unhealthy or oh, he's not fit. He's not this. That guy is an athlete. Mm-hmm. He may not look it, but he is strong. He is extremely mobile, extremely, mm-hmm. right? Which is a genetic gift. Let's all be very honest about that. Like he's just, he, his body just does things other people's bodies don't do. Yeah. Right. And he, and he still does it in spite of his un, unhealthy lifestyle. Right. So he's, Correct. he's one where he's got a, he's got great genetics. He's maybe not doing all he can to optimize them, but it doesn't matter. He's, he's. Nor does he care. Right. No, he didn't really doesn't. He's living Crippin his best sip, life no matter Crippin what. Sip. Now, Tiger, on the other hand, sitting at his press conference the other day, just yoked. Yep. Just like, what's up, biceps? Like, can't use my leg? Somebody show me the curl machine. Arm farm. Arm farm. Uh, did he? He was just... He did... Did he look puffy to you? A little bit, yeah. Little, yeah. little, little, little puffy. That poor bastard. Nice. I know. I <laughs> I mean, he's, he basically has one, one good leg, one leg that's, it seems like healed now, but still not, still not great. And then you throw in all the back stuff too. And it's like, ugh, that poor guy. Yeah. Just gone through the ringer and God knows, especially what we know today about, we just had a herniated disc conversation not that long ago. God knows what decisions they would make today about his back surgeries. Mm-hmm. If they're well, necessary, and the amount- if they were in the amount he practiced, I mean, if you read yeah. his, uh, if you read his biography, when he was at Stanford, he had twenty four seven access to the practice facilities, and he was known on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, when people are out drinking, partying until three four a.m. Yeah. He was in the training facility Big banging balls. balls. I mean, yeah. he was hitting thousands and thousands of balls every single day. Yeah. So yes, yep. he's he's probably a. a has really great genetics. He obviously has the mental training that his dad put him through and all that, but he, he put in a ton, ton, ton of work. So he's probably gotten pretty close to his ceiling, um, closer, closer than any of us probably have. Very important point we need to make right now. Most people say his back injuries occurred because of working out and swinging too fast. Those are the two things you hear people say all the time. They say that about Bryson right now too. Eventually mm-hmm. his back's going to just break because of that. I disagree with both of those statements. Tissues break down when the capacity of that tissue is exceeded, which is typically due to fatigue mm-hmm. more often than not. Tim just made the point about Tiger practicing incessantly. Eventually the body has to have a break. Has to. Right. Most people, if they go out right now and they normally play once a week and they walk 18 holes once a week, if all they did was walk, do that two more times in a week, 
they'd be sore. Right? If most people come into the clinic, especially if we see them first thing, and we have them do five sit to stands, and they're like, oh my gosh, like my legs were sore for like four days. I'm like, yeah, because you don't do any of these things, right? That's fatigue setting in. So when you think about someone playing golf and they are banging thousands of balls, thousands per week, it makes sense that things break down. To be honest, the fact that he started working out probably mitigated worse issues from happening later on. Like his recoveries were probably three times faster because generally speaking, he was much stronger than he would have been. Agreed. We know that to be a fact in every other sport. Agreed. And and you can't, you have to talk about the, you know, he was doing training with Navy SEALs and stuff. So he was sleep deprived. He was doing crazy fatiguing workouts. Yes running in sand, getting in cold water, not sleeping. I mean, so all of that goes into it. It's not just that he was swinging out of his shoes and, you know, posting around his front leg and putting a ton of stress on his back probably contributed, but there's a lot more to the story there. Yeah. That's, it's just not, uh, we need to have a whole podcast about that myth because we've talked about back injuries significantly on here. It's just not true. It's right. just not, yes, does speed play a role? Sure. Specifically, if you don't have the strength to handle the speed. Right. Right. Tiger had the strength to handle the, swing, the speed of his swing without question. Right. right. I, would, I would argue that almost all of the breakdown of his swing came from fatigue and probably that he changed his swing several times. Right. So not only did he fatigue or not only did he play a lot, he also played a lot, then started changing aspects of his swing and then produce lots of force in those different ways. That probably contributed, but there's so much nuance to it that it also, it's the point of it all is that it's not just the fact that he was big and strong. Right. Right. And, it, and you think about the average golfer, you know, they're probably working a desk job, right? They're your accountant, your lawyer, your who, whoever you're, you're working, you're maybe not working out. And then you go out once a week, and swing out of your shoes, your capacity is really low. You're not doing anything all week. And then you're asking your body to do a whole heck of a lot on your Saturday round. I mean, that's not bad genetics. That's not being prepared for what you're trying to do with your body. It's just not being smart. Well, it's like people that like don't play pickup basketball and then out of nowhere, like, yeah, let's go play. And they like blow a heel cord or something. Right. Like, how'd that happen? What do you mean? How'd that happen? You don't train for it. It's not, it's not rocket science. Exactly. Exactly. Like if I went and ran a 10 K right now, I would hurt for, I don't even want to know how long. Like we did a 5 K front Thanksgiving, which I hadn't, I'd been running like a mile and a half or two miles with our dog at a leisure, leisure pace. And we ran that 5 K and I tried to like, keep it at a, again a simple pace i was like looking at all the homes like oh i like that house i could see us in something like that someday and i'm getting like to the end of it and i'm just like damn it who invented running (laughs) it's brutal meanwhile guys like you are just like like flying by me as if it's just like the easiest like gazelles just like just like what is sick in the head (laughs) we call people like you pedestrians you're going at a pedestrian pace Oh, I, pedestrians, kind, <laughs> kind. I looked like I was walking. I think I, I don't know what I did it in. I'd have to, I got to look at my Apple watch. I, it was like 24 minutes or something. It's not bad. It's not bad. Oh my God. It was, it was brutal. Not my fastest ever, but my mile time, that's always been fast. Mm-hmm. Not nothing after that. Cause I finished yeah. my mile and I just die for the rest of the day. Genetics. <laughs> They matter. (laughs) They matter. matter. So there's a great quote from a guy named Greg Knuckles. And a lot of the stuff that we talked about in this podcast are from an article that he wrote, which we'll, we'll put in the podcast description. But one of the things he says is you never know how good of a hand you were dealt until you play it with the expectation that it's a good hand. That's a fantastic quote. Completely true. You don't know how good your hand is that you've been dealt genetically until you play expecting it to be a good hand. So that was to the point that we made earlier, where if your ceiling is at the top of that graph or in the middle of the graph, are you trying to get there? And do you expect it to be really high until you make the expectation that it's much higher than you are now, you will never achieve 
beyond mediocrity. And to blame your genetics or to blame your environment isn't really going to cut it. You know, we know, like Tim just talked about, people as they age can still get very good at things, no matter what it is, no matter what the motor task is. Sure, it might not be as easy. We're not as plastic as we are when we're teenagers, physically speaking and mentally speaking, but you can still get very good at things. I know lots of people who did nothing their whole lives, picked up golf and became excellent golfers. Mm -hmm. That's a motor skill and a hard motor skill. Maybe they were genetically gifted and they have great hand eye and good feel. Maybe they just went to the range, worked hard and what have you, but they picked it up. They got good at it and they tried to find out how good they could be regardless of what the limit their genetics placed on them. I think that's a great point to end on. I don't, I don't know if I can top it. Expectation matters and hard work matters. That's it. And pick better parents. Yeah. Unfortunately. God, Maybe in the future we could pick our parents. Oh, I don't want to get into Imagine. that topic. Drive me, drive me nuts. <laughs> People start picking stuff. I. It's one of those things I don't do. I don't play God. I don't blame you. I don't either. I don't. I don't mess. I don't mess with that kind of stuff. It's just that's fire, and that burn you. <laughs> this just became like a church. I just got like church. I don't know what just happened. I know that the and the lighting the it got dark I know, over I'm there. Like, You've got a little light <laughs> behind your head. It's like oh, I got, I got nothing. I tried turning on my uh, little oh shoot. I tried turning on my little loom cube and it disconnected for some reason. So I was like, yeah, it's all right. Got like a little halo around me. Works out. It was great. fitting. It was fitting. Yeah, you gotta gotta make it work. So we'll wrap it up. Listen, anyone listening to this of our, I don't know how many of our listeners we have at this point, hopefully 55,000. I think so. Got to be close. If you are unsure about what to do for training, drop a comment, shoot us a DM, jackson.golfstrong, tim.golfstrong on Instagram. Um, you know, shoot us, shoot us a message. Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not really sure what fits me. You know, let's talk about it. Let's figure those things out. Let's fix them. Um, and I suppose we could probably talk about it on here. So as you can tell, Tim and I have like combined forces. We've kind of become Voltron here. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, that's a phenomenal name. <laughs> Anyways. That's what we should have named it. Voltron. Voltron. God. Oh, so we can have a program called Voltron. There you go. First program out Voltron. First program out Voltron. But anyways, we've kind of we've kind of combined forces. So, uh, golf strong, golf strong is going to be coming out, and you're going to see more uh, kind of a joint effort from Tim and I talking about the golf world and how we're basically breaking it from the bonds of bad performance information. Try, try, do our best. We're going to do it. We are going to do it. It's going to take hard work, but we are going to do it. We are Voltron. I gotta eat off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. 